Hello everybody and welcome back to Witchfix. I am getting on board with a series that I started a little while ago now. I reviewed the first book and to be honest I wasn't really gonna read all the subsequent ones but because my Kindle keeps nagging me to purchase the rest of them and because I recently got a comment from Laura Hipchin over on YouTube. Hi Laura, it's me Sarah. Um, thank you for commenting, like that's a, that's a rare occurrence. But um Basically, Laura said that they were on the fourth one in the series and they were really enjoying it. And I was like, well, I've been looking for a new series to replace the Wicker books in my to read pile. I realised that I'm still a little behind on finishing that series, but I kind of convinced myself that I've already have and I'm a lot happier. Um, and also the Circle of Three series. So I was like, you know what? I have room in my life for a Witch PI series. And I thought as well, because I just started the Wiccan Wheel Mysteries, it'd be a good counterpoint to that, um, to have sort of two witch mystery themed series on the go at once, albeit ones that are quite different in terms of like tone. So with that in mind, I went ahead and I purchased the second book. You might remember that the first one is called Witches When It All Began, and the second one is called Witch Is When Life Got Complicated, and yes, that is Witch, W-I-T-C-H, because we love a pun. Uh, and that's again by Adele Abbott. Now, I paid $2.99 for the second book in the series. I also purchased the third book, which I believe is called Witches When It All Went Crazy. That was 99p, so I was like, ah, well, go on then. It's only 99p. But those are words that have practically emptied my bank account in the past. Just be like, oh, well, it's only 99p. And then I buy like 500 things. But I bought that because most books in the series are 2 99 Or, of course, they are free to read if you have Kindle Unlimited um, and are fancy, which I am not. Uh, so I bought both of those. And I'm going to probably review those quite close together. And then if I'm still feeling it, I'll branch out and get to the fourth book. So I went back and listened to my review of the first one, which I do when I've... It's been a while since I've reviewed things and have forgotten some of the, the, the points, like the plot points of the first or second or whatever book was previous in the series. Um, so I got a little bit like freshened up on the mythos of the series, if we'll call it that. And uh, then I jumped straight into which is when life got complicated. The blurb for which is incredibly short and it is, it ain't over. Life is always hectic for P.I. and novice witch Jill Gooder. Murder, theft and a missing cat she can take in her stride. But a date with detective Jack Maxwell? That's a whole different ballgame. Till the custard creams have all gone. Oh, okay, I think it ain't over till the custard creams have all gone is like one sentence, but then they've just stuck the rest of the blurb in the middle. I see what you did there. So you might remember in the first book, Jill Gooder found out that she was a witch uh, because she briefly met her birth mother because she was adopted. And before her birth mother died... She got told that she was a witch. Then she went on to meet her witchy relatives who live in a town called Candlefield. I think it's Candlefield, not Candleford. Um, and they consist of her aunt Lucy, her grandmother, who is obviously Lucy and her biological mother's mother, and two cousins, I think, who are Aunt Lucy's daughters, who are Pearl and Amber, I think, who run a cupcake shop in Candlefield. We were also introduced to Jill's adopted sister Kathy who obviously she grew up with and Jack Maxwell who she kind of has the hots for and he is the connection to the police force because he's a policeman who doesn't really want her to investigate things. What I really liked about the series um, from the first book was one it was set in England which not a lot of these are and I do like you know a, an English main character. I liked the main character not just because she was English but because she seemed kind of wry and a little bit sarcastic and not two goody goody two shoes despite her last name and I also liked some of the quirky humour 
What I wasn't so keen on were some of the odd twee things and a couple of inconsistencies in the logic of some of the actions that the main character made. So going into the second one, I, I had my reservations. However, I have come out of it the other side and can broadly say that, yes, I did enjoy the book. Um, there are various little niggles that I had with it in general, but to be honest, I still found myself chuckling in places. I still enjoy the main character. I'm eager to see you know, how the series progresses and what other cases she will take on. And I'm really glad coming out of the Wiccan Wheel mystery review that I just did that there was actually a murder in this book as there was in the first book so as long as the crimes keep coming and they're still reasonably intriguing I'm going to keep reading. That said I'm going to get into some negative things which in no way mean that I didn't overall enjoy the book but as I was reading it these things did kind of spoil some of the good time that I was having. Now to start with the obvious plot point to discuss the actual crime that occurs warning there are going to be some spoilers although I'm not actually going to reveal who did the crime, so breathe easy if you wanted that to be a surprise. The crime that's committed takes place during a very boring play that Jill's sister has dragged her to see, uh, knowing that Jill doesn't actually like going to things like plays, but we'll get into that in a minute. Um, so during one of the scenes in the play, one of the actors is meant to get stabbed with a fake knife, and then lo and behold, he is stabbed with a very real knife and dies. And after a couple of seconds, realising that the quality of the acting has definitely just shot up, Jill realises that there has actually been a real live murder taking place. I really love this as a like a setup to a murder. It's not incredibly original because it's been done in quite a few other things. Really brought to mind Midsummer Murders and things like that. I don't know if they've ever done an episode like that, but it feels like they have. Usually it's people who get shot with prop guns that turn out to be real guns or loaded with real ammunition. Um, but having said that, it was quite funny and enjoyable. It happened within the first couple of pages, and so I was kind of obviously then invested in that mystery carrying forward. The actual investigation process of it was kind of sidelined by a lot of the other stuff that was going on, more so than the mystery was sidelined in the first book. So there was even less involvement with it this time. It was mainly just occasionally Jill would go places and talk to people and they would spontaneously reveal things that you wouldn't think that they'd be hugely upfront about. Uh, for example, the first time she speaks to the suspected killer who the police have arrested, alone she just randomly blurts out oh yeah I was having an affair with the dead guy which felt a little bit like that's something she might have saved for their second conversation but then they never really get a second conversation anyway. The main problem I had with the mystery is not the fact that it was a bad mystery because it was really good the clues were laid out really well um, trying to pick through the information that was given kind of gave me a rough idea of who the killer was um, and then that was confirmed later on. So it was a really good setup, really good constructed mystery, but it does end about the 68% mark. I have to say percentage because it's on my Kindle. I actually don't know what the, the real page was. But uh, yeah, they solved the mystery just over halfway through the book. And then the rest of the book just kind of continues. Several secondary mysteries are included. Um, for instance, Mrs. V, who is the knitting obsessed secretary slash receptionist at the PI agency that Jill runs. She wins a knitting trophy that then gets stolen. And similarly, in Candlefield, a trophy is stolen there, um, which is used in a special sport that vampires and werewolves play against each other. And Jill is tasked with solving both of these mysteries as well. The thing is that neither one of those is very interesting in the same way that a murder is interesting, because we all know that I love a good murder. 
and you know a missing item both of which get found pretty easily it didn't really carry the second half of the book for me in the way that a good murder mystery would and i think with a little bit more effort that case could have been kept going for the whole book um so without that the book did start to feel like it was dragging on a little bit and that there was a lot of stuff being crammed into it that wasn't crime uh, which was slightly disappointing a couple of the other elements that are included in the story are the fact that jill is now having witch instruction from her grandma and is trying to practice her witch magic there are two separate occasions where she has to use magic to save kathy's kids from being like a life or death situation and she starts to worry that kathy might twig that there's something up with her uh kathy also drags uh jill to not just the play but then back to a second performance of the same play with the understudy now in the dead guy's place and also to a circus and to a barbecue um basically these are all sort of skits um these little kind of dead end chapter things where funny stuff happens but nothing really like that feels like it's advancing the plot in any way and i say funny in that very peculiar tone that i just did because i only found half of the stuff funny the rest of it just seemed kind of forced in that oh so quirky chiclet kind of way but obviously humor is pretty subjective and the things that i didn't find funny might tickle some of you pink and the things that i did find funny um, which mostly happened towards the end of the book i think maybe i just took a while to get back into the idea of reading a chiclet book where these sorts of things happen um those might things might not raise a smile in you at all so i don't think that's generally a point against the writing one way or the other what did annoy me and this happened around the 24 percent mark was something that jill's sister kathy did um which i don't really think is subjective i think it's just I think anyone who read this would find it appalling and looking at some of the reviews on Goodreads a lot of people did seem to be pissed off with Kathy in particular in this book so maybe hopefully I wasn't the only one. Bit of background the two main character traits that Jill has is that she really loves custard creams the biscuit and cannot eat them if they've been mixed in with other biscuits in a tin and also that she collects beanie babies and has long since she was a child and has a real fondness for her collection she likes to keep it pristine and in a certain order obviously because beanie babies are a collectible i understand that you don't want them getting in a mess if you have a collectible you might like to arrange them however you would most like to and are probably quite persnickety about people touching them so just keep all that in mind when i describe what happens next this contains mild spoilers but it's not again plot relevant so kathy has a child whose name i can't be bothered to remember i think it's liz or something um and that child has recently started to collect beanie babies and for some reason kathy then says oh, okay so aunt jill can show you her beanie babies at some point and let you play with them which which is okay fair enough um you know you would maybe show a child your collection of something that's fine but jill doesn't really want them to get played with because she's worried that they'll get ruined because apparently lizzie is quite a boisterous child and is shown not treating her own beanies with a lot of respect so jill rather unwisely tells her sister that actually she's recently sold her whole collection and doesn't have them anymore is it wrong to lie to someone yes but that minor wrong is kind of eclipsed by what kathy does next so Jill arrives home to her flat at one point in the novel to find that Kathy has let her and her stupid child in and they've dug around through her stuff to find the Beanie Babies that she obviously still has because before she was lying. And Kathy is then pissed off at Jill 
for hiding them. Which, I mean, I would be more pissed off if someone who had a spare key to my house, presumably just for emergencies, had come into my house to dig around through my possessions to try and catch me in a lie just because I didn't want their child ruining something that I had a large emotional connection to and probably had also spent quite a bit of money on. Now, after this happens, Jill and Kathy go into the kitchen away from the child to have an adult discussion, read quiet argument. Jill doesn't seem annoyed at all. And okay, maybe that's just Jill's personality. She doesn't want to ruffle feathers. She obviously really loves her sister, whatever. But then she basically says that she doesn't want her toys getting ruined and comments that Lizzie, that's the child's name, is actually um, kind of playing with the bear, but also has snot on her hands because I think she just sneezed or something. But she says, oh, she's getting snot all over my bear. And Kathy's response is to say this. That's what you're worried about, a little snot. Kathy threw her hands in the air. You are a little snot, Jill. No, strike that. You're a gigantic green bogey. How could you lie like that? Who am I kidding? Of course you could. You lie to me all the time. You always have. But to your niece, how could you? I don't know what to say. How about, sorry, please forgive me? Well, I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. No, you're not forgiven. Not by a long chalk. What do I have to do to make it right? Let Lizzie play with your beanies whenever she wants to. All of them. Every last one. I can't. Well, I guess we're done then. I'll tell the kids they don't have an auntie anymore. She made to leave, but I grabbed her arm. Wait, look, I simply couldn't bear to watch her destroy them. She's not going to destroy them. She just wants to play with them. Same thing in my book. I know, but I can't bear to watch to watch it. She can take them home. They're hers to keep. All of them. All of them, but on one condition. And what's that? That you put them somewhere. I'll never see them again. I couldn't bear to witness their devastation. So what we have here is, I, I don't even know if it's meant to be funny, but Kathy seems deathly serious where she's like, I'm going to cut you out of my kids' lives and my life just because you won't let her play with your collectible objects that are yours and that you don't want other people to touch and mess up. And it goes even further because when the kid leaves with all her ill-gotten beanies, Jill finds the squid beanie um, just sort of stuck down the side of the sofa or whatever and is like, oh, this has been missed when she's picked them all up. And this was the first one that she ever had that I think her adoptive mum gave her or something. It was mentioned earlier. It was like a present. And so she holds on to it and then she's like, I need to hide this so that Kathy never sees it when she comes over. So she tries to put a hiding spell on it. Uh, and I think this is meant to illustrate the limitations of that spell because it becomes relevant in a mystery later on. But then she has to like hide it in the top of the wardrobe and like keep it a secret and only take it out when Kathy isn't around at her house that is hers because she's an adult. And that whole incident was just incredibly irritating to me because I would have absolutely gone off if someone had gone through my stuff and then demanded that I let their stupid child play with it and ruin it when it had cost me money. And it's just... It struck such a huge nerve with me that I just had to pause and be like, I'm going to let this go, but I dislike Kathy intensely now. Something else that happens in the plot, which seems like it's going to be relevant more to the wider scheme of things, is that Jill apparently is attacked by someone known as the Dark One, who appears to be kind of the Voldemort of the series. I had to go back to the first book to read about an explanation of who that was, because it isn't really caught up to you in this book isn't really explained again um but basically the dark one is someone who may or may not live in candle field it hasn't really been discovered if they do or not because their identity is unknown they're basically like super powerful they use dark magic and because jill is the latest in a very long line of powerful witches 
they're kind of targeting her and maybe trying to steal her powers and kill her. Uh, and that is the reason why her birth mother gave her up for adoption, because she didn't feel that it was safe at the time for her to be raised in Candlefield. So Jill gets a iPod in the post as like a present from her cousins for helping out at their cupcake shop. She plugs it into her car to listen to on her journey away from the office den. This uh, confused me a little bit because I was kind of given to understand an iPod is something that you like upload music onto from your computer like an MP3 player because spoiler alert I've never owned an iPod and not something that you could just use to play your favourite music straight away box fresh from opening but maybe I'm mistaken maybe you can just like connect it to your iTunes account or something and play music that's by the by but she plugs it into her car to listen to music on the journey and then randomly falls asleep at the wheel in a very short section at the end of that chapter and nearly um, goes into oncoming traffic in her car uh, and kind of freaks out a little bit and then she finds out from her aunt that actually no one had sent her an iPod as a present and that it had been probably spelled and sent to her so that when she listened to it it would send her to sleep and this is construed as an attack by the Dark One, an attempt on her life. Not a huge amount of weight is given to that. It's kind of not really mentioned for the rest of the book. At one point, she says that she's in a rush, so she takes a shortcut and she gets attacked by followers, who are the names of like the weird, dark, magic-using people who follow um, the Dark One, obviously. Um, and they like attack her and she has to like fight them in the alley. I don't know why... It says, like, she took a shortcut. Is this an alley where she's been attacked before from the first book? I don't know. But why would she then assume that she'd be attacked every time that she went down it? That made very little sense to me. But anyway, that happens. And we're also introduced to a new character called Daze, whose full name, I think, is, like, Daisy Flower something. Um, But she doesn't like that. She's called Daze. She's described as wearing a catsuit. And she's basically like magic police. It's her job to go out and arrest magical beings who have left um, the realm of Candlefield and gone out into the human world and are causing problems and not obeying the rules that they should be. She catches them and brings them back. Now, in the books, the supernatural beings are referred to as soups, as in S-U-P-S, like sups, um, which I already thought was kind of, to put it bluntly, stupid. Um, but I thought, well, you know, it's the writer's choice of phrase. I'm not going to get persnickety over what they've chosen to call that. I just think it's silly. But then they refer to Daze unironically as a super soup, um, which apparently she hates. And, you know, we're together on that because that's double stupid. But that just kind of brought up the whole soup thing again to me. And I was like, I really hate this term that they're using. Uh, similarly, um, it's revealed like while Jill's walking around Candlefield on one of her many excursions to the cupcake shop, she is encountering supernatural beings and she can identify which ones are which just by looking at them because she's a witch herself. We find out that there are wizards, werewolves and vampires, which I think we knew from the first book. But she also just randomly encounters an angel who runs a trophy shop. And that kind of took me aback because... I don't tend to put those things in the same kind of category as if someone says, oh, this book has vampires in it. I don't automatically assume that angels are also real within the book. And I sort of felt like I wished some of these limitations and areas of the world building had been kind of firmed up for me before they were just like randomly introduced. Like, oh, also angels are real, uh, which was slightly confusing. There were some funny moments that I really liked. Uh, for instance, uh, Winky the cat, who is kind of a source of a lot of the quality humour, um, he has been going online shopping to buy an eye patch because he only has one eye. And they have a little conversation about 
how he looks at it and she's like oh, it might be better in red and then uh, a client comes in potentially to like talk to her about getting like her to do some pi work and she asks him to give his opinion on how the cat looks in the eye patch i found that quite funny similarly a guy comes in asking her to find a woman for him and she's kind of like going through a list of things like oh what's her name what does she look like and this and this and basically it, it's kind of obvious from the outset but it's quite funny anyway that he thinks that he's gone to a dating agency and just wants her to find a random woman for him and not a specific woman who he has misplaced so that was quite funny i found that quite amusing one of the other plot points that happens is that Jill keeps bumping into a guy called Drake, uh, Drake Tyson, who is a wizard, presumably from Candlefield. It's not confirmed that he's a wizard, but she thinks that he's a wizard, so I guess she'd know. Um, she's kind of having like a kind of love interest type flirtation with him, but also she goes out for dinner with Jack Maxwell, the police guy, because her sister, without asking, because who needs boundaries, eh, Kathy? Just kind of enters her in a raffle to win dinner with jack maxfield is like a charity thing and she has to go on the date with him obviously um so they're having a date and then at the end they both run into drake together so it's kind of setting up this like little love triangle thing which i'm not not interested in i i don't care a huge amount about her love life but i think it could be interesting in terms of creating other conflict down the line also because she can't tell any of her like human family and acquaintances that she's a witch and about candlefield which hopefully is going to come to a head at some point. Um, probably will be because Kathy seems like the kind of person who just won't back down from nosing around in other people's business. The devil. Uh, so aside from those couple of niggles and the, the way it felt like the book was kind of a little bit overly long and had a lot of other kind of like running jokes sort of put in that we didn't necessarily need. Like there's a couple of times where she goes to the cupcake shop and it seems to be literally only because they have this running gag about her two twin cousins who keep trying to look different from the other one so like they'll dye their hair red but then the other one will have also dyed her hair red it, it just felt like you know we didn't need a huge amount of that and we also maybe didn't need you know mrs v the receptionist going out on a bender with grandma and then both being hung over like it felt like these are little sort of, sort of skit events that could have been cut out to make the book feel a little bit more pacey but i'm not like irritated at it i'm not mad i'm just sort of picking up on a few things that maybe other people might find annoying as i did uh, but they didn't ruin the book for me anyway and i will now be going into reading book three because i'm quite enjoying the series ironically i'm enjoying it a little bit more than the wick and wheel mystery series that i've read the first book of because at least this one had an interesting crime um, even if it did get solved in like chapter 17 of a 25 chapter book so I'm hopeful that this isn't like the start of a worrying trend where the crime is given less and less time in the books because I do still like there to be a little bit of a central mystery to carry these. What this is reminding me of most strongly is the Mystery Man series by I think Jason Bateman. The first book is literally called Mystery Man and it's about a guy who runs a mystery bookshop but it's next to a private eye office and because of the name of his bookshop i think it's like no alibis or something people think that he is the private detective when the private detective goes missing and the first book is about him taking the case which caused the private detective to go missing because he fancies dabbling a bit in investigations but it has that same kind of off the wall screwball comedy which feels a little bit like someone's put like a mitchell and webb sketch into the book um without it really 
meshing into the plot that well. Um, but yeah, if if you don't mind not having any witchy content and you want a book that's similar in tone to these, I would go and read the uh, Mystery Man series, although it does get a little bit darker in places than this does, so be warned. I mean, it's still funny, it's just like dark comedy. If you have enjoyed this series and read it and you want to encourage me to keep going with it, do get in touch. You can comment obviously on YouTube or you can use Twitter or email, which is all in the description box of this episode. If you have any other ideas for Wiccan book series that you think I might like, series, series I, series, whichever of those three you think, um, you can get in touch in the same ways. And in the meantime, I will see you in the next episode. Bye!